0: Section three of *The Jolly Parisiennes* and other novelettes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. *The Jolly Parisiennes* by Emile Zola, translated by George D. Cox. Chapter three: The Masson Lafitte Races. Ten days elapsed. Felix had disappeared, and I could find no pretext for seeking out Madame Nijan i was reduced in order to occupy myself with her to buying five or six leading journals in which i read her husband's name he had participated in an important debate in the chamber and had made a speech which was attracting much attention that speech at another time would have appeared wearisome to me now it interested me for i saw louise's black tresses and white neck behind the filmy phrases i even had with a gentleman whom i scarcely knew a violent discussion on the subject of m whose incapacity i defended the bitter attacks of the newspapers drove me wild without doubt the man is a ninny but that is merely an additional proof of his wife's intelligence if she is as they relate the good fairy of his fortune during those ten days of impatience in vain rambles i went five or six times to my aunt's always hoping for a happy bit of luck for some unexpected meeting but on the occasion of my last visit i so greatly displeased the countess that i dare not return there soon she had taken it into her head to obtain me a diplomatic position through m nijon's influence and her stupor was great when i refused alleging my political opinions to make matters worse i had consented to accept the post at first when i did not wish to offer my homage to louise and it was not yet repugnant to me to be indebted to her husband for a benefit hence my aunt who could not understand my fit of delicacy was amazed at what she styled a childish caprice did not legitimists as scrupulous as myself represent the republic in foreign countries in fact diplomacy is the refuge of the legitimists they fill up the embassies and render the good cause a useful service by retaining the high situations which the republicans covet i was greatly embarrassed to give good reasons in reply i entrenched myself in a ridiculous rigidity and my aunt finally told me i was an ass being the more furious because she had already mentioned the matter to monsieur nijon no matter louise would not believe that i was paying court to her that i might obtain a government post i should be laughed at if i related the strange feelings i experienced during the past ten days at first i was convinced that louise had noticed the deep emotion which the contact of her skirts with my knees had caused me and i concluded that i had not displeased her since she had not immediately drawn away from me i considered this an advance which went beyond permitted coquetry these are sincere notes a sort of confession in which i conceal nothing many men if they told everything would admit that surroundings change but that woman remains the same in the matter of admiration a woman either courts homage or permits it i speak of married women of fashionable ladies having appearances to preserve THE MEN WHO DESIRE TO WORSHIP AT THEIR FEET QUICKLY NOTE IF THEY EXPRESS WILLINGNESS BENEATH THE GOOD MANNERS OF EDUCATION AND REFINEMENT OF LUXURY. ALL THIS IS TO SAY THAT, IN MY YOUTHFUL EGOTISM, I FOUND A POSSIBLE FRIENDSHIP BETWEEN LOUISE AND MYSELF ALTOGETHER NATURAL. THAT BIT OF HER SKIRTS UPON MY KNEES WAS SIMPLY A PIECE OF CHARMING FRANKNESS AND BOLDNESS. BUT, SEVERAL HOURS LATER, I BEGAN TO DOUBT. I TOOK TO CONTRARY ARGUMENTS only a girl could indulge in such a proceeding i was a fool to believe that a woman would throw herself at my head even in a moment of bewilderment madame nijon did not give me a thought perhaps she had worshippers but her friendships were certainly more calculated and more complicated there must be a vast difference between the woman of whom i had dreamed and the woman instinctively seeking adoration and the adroit woman the tricky parisienne such as she was beyond a doubt so she had altogether escaped from me i saw her no more and i could not tell even if it was indeed true that i had remained for five minutes in the obscurity of a theatre-box feeling the pressure of her form against mine and i was very unhappy so much so that for an instant i thought of returning to la boquette there to shut myself up day before yesterday i at last conceived an idea which i was astonished had not come to me sooner It was to attend a sitting of the chamber. Perhaps M. Nijon would speak. Perhaps his wife would be there. But fate decreed that I was not yet to see that fiend of a man. He was to have spoken, but he did not even make his appearance. It was said that he was detained in I know not what commission of the Senate. In compensation, as I seated myself at the back of a tribune, I felt a thrill on perceiving Madame Gaucherade in the front row of the tribune opposite, she saw me and glanced at me smilingly alas louise was not with her my joy vanished when the session was over i managed to meet madame gauchrande in the lobby she greeted me familiarly felix certainly had spoken to her about me have you been absent from paris she asked me i stood silent hurt by the question i who had run so furiously all over the city i have not met you anywhere The last reception at the ministry was superb, and there has been a marvellous horse exposition. Then, seeing my air of desperation, she burst out laughing. "'Well, good-bye until tomorrow," resumed she, as she was going away. "'I shall see you down there, shall I not?' I answered yes, stupidly, not daring to risk a question for fear of hearing her laugh again. She turned and glanced at me with a mischievous air. "'Come,' she murmured, in the discreet tone of a friend who had some delightful surprise in reserve for me. I was seized with a mad desire to run after and question her, but she had already turned into another lobby, and I flew into a rage against my foolish pride which had prevented me from avowing my ignorance. Certainly I was ready to go down there, but where was it? The vagueness of this rendezvous tortured my mind, and besides I felt ashamed of not knowing what society knew— in the evening i hastened to felix's proposing to myself to obtain from him in a shrewd way the information i needed felix was absent then overcome by despair i plunged into reading the newspapers selecting the most fashionable ones and those having the largest circulation and strove to divine amid the information published for the morrow which was the spot most likely to be the rendezvous of the bon ton my perplexities increased there were all sorts of celebrations an exhibition of the old masters a charity sale at a famous club a musical mass at st clotilda a general rehearsal two concerts and a taking of the veil without counting races pretty nearly everywhere how was an unposted provincial conscious of his defects to find his way amid such confusion i understood perfectly that the height of fashion was to go to one of these places but which one that was the question Finally, at the risk of waiting in vain an entire day, and of being devoured by impatience if I made a mistake, I dared to choose. I thought I remembered having heard the two ladies speak of the maison la races, and an inspiration came to me. I resolved to attend the maison la races. This decision made, I grew calmer. What a ravishing corner of the world is this suburb of Paris! I was unacquainted with maison la which enchanted me with its gay houses built upon a hill which borders the Seine. It was the early part of May. The apple-trees, all white with bloom, formed huge bouquets amid the tender verdure of the poplars and elms. However, I felt myself very much of a stranger at first, lost between walls and green hedges, unwilling to ask my way of any one. I had had the joy of seeing a great many people take the same train, but the two ladies were not there and, as I watched the passers-by at maison Lafitte, my heart grew heavy. Getting beyond the houses, I had lost myself completely on the bank of the Seine, when a sudden thrill stopped me short near a clump of briars. Fifty paces away, a group of persons was slowly advancing towards me, and I recognized Louise and Bertha, Gaucherand and Felix, always inseparable, were following at a short distance. So I had guessed correctly. This filled me with pride." but my excitement was so great that i committed a piece of genuine childishness i concealed myself behind the clump of briars seized upon by i know not what shame fearing to appear ridiculous when louise passed the hem of her dress touched the briars i instantly comprehended the idiocy of my first impulse hence i hastened to cut across the fields and as the promenaders reached an elbow of the road i made my appearance with the most natural air possible like a man who believes himself alone and has abandoned himself to reverie what it's you cried gaucherand i bowed affecting the utmost surprise everybody uttered exclamations and we all shook hands but felix laughed in his singular manner while bertha winked her eye at me which established a complicity between us the others resumed walking and i found myself a few paces in the rear with her so you came she said to me gaily in a low tone and without giving me time to reply she grew jocose adding that i was exceedingly fortunate to be still so much of a child i felt that she was an ally it seemed to me that she would have experienced a personal joy in bringing me to her friend's feet then felix turned and asked what are you laughing about there monsieur de Voglade has been telling me of his journey with a whole family of english people she replied tranquilly gaucherad had again taken felix's arm and drawn him away as if it was his desire that my tete-tete with his wife should not be interrupted i was left alone between louise and bertha i spent an hour of ecstasy upon the shady road which followed the seine louise wore a dress of light silk and her pink-lined parasol bathed her face with a clear warm light without a shadow the country made her freer than ever she spoke loudly looked me in the face and answered bertha who urged her on to bold conversation with a persistence which struck me afterwards give your arm to madame nijon said bertha at last you are not very gallant don't you see that she's fatigued i offered my arm to louise who immediately leaned upon it bertha rejoined her husband and felix we were alone more than forty paces behind the road ascended the hill and we walked very slowly below the seine flowed between meadows spread out like green velvet carpets there was a long, narrow island, cut by the two bridges, over which trains pass with a roll as of distant thunder. Then, on the other side of the water, an immense plain full of cultivated fields extended as far as Mont-Valerine, the gray fortifications of which could be perceived at the edge of the sky, in a sprinkling of sunlight. And what moved me almost to tears was the odor of springtime spread around us, mounting from the grass on both sides of the road do you soon return to les bouquets louise demanded of me i was idiotic enough to answer no not foreseeing that she was about to add ah that's unfortunate we start next week for les moreaux the property my husband owns two leagues from yours i believe and he counted upon inviting you to visit us i stammered out that my father might recall me much sooner than i had thought it had seemed to me that i had felt her arm lean more heavily upon mine Was this, then, a rendezvous that she was giving me? With a gallant idea that I had formed, of this Parisienne, so free and so refined, I immediately constructed a romance, homage offered to her in the country, a month of worship beneath the great trees. Yes, it was that. She had, without doubt, discovered in me the grace of a country gentleman, and wished me to adore her in my proper sphere. I have something to scold you about, she suddenly resumed, taking on a tender and maternal air eh i murmured yes your aunt has told me about you it appears that you will accept nothing at our hands that's very wounding indeed why do you refuse pray tell me i blushed a second time i was upon the point of risking my declaration of crying out i refuse because i wish to worship at your feet but she had a look as if she understood and did not wish me to speak then she added laughing if you are proud If you insist upon rendering service for service, we will very gladly accept your protection in the country. You are aware that a councillor-general is to be elected. My husband is a candidate, but is afraid of being defeated, which would be exceedingly disagreeable in his situation. Will you aid us?' She could not have been more charming. This story of the election seemed to me the pretext of a shrewd woman to bring us together again in the fields. "'Of course I will aid you,' I answered gaily and if you cause my husband's election it is understood that he in his turn will give you a lift it's a bargain yes it's a bargain she offered me her little hand and i squeezed it we both of us joked this indeed seemed delicious to me there were no longer any trees the sun came straight down on the top of the hill and we were walking in an excessive heat both of us grown silent but that imbecile came to trouble this quivering silence beneath the sky of flame. He had heard us talking of the council-general, and he clung to me, relating the story of his uncle, maneuvering to get an introduction to my father. Finally, we reached the race-course. They thought the races superb. As for me, I was standing behind Louise, gazing at her delicate neck all the time. What an adorable return in a sudden shower! The green of the country was greener still beneath the rain the leaves and the soil gave forth a delightful odor. Louise had half closed her eyes. She was weary, and seemed as if taken possession of by the voluptuousness of spring. "'Don't forget our bargain,' she said to me at the depot, as she got into her carriage, which was waiting for her. "'At Le Moreaux, in fifteen days. Be sure to come.' I grasped the hand which she offered me, and I fear that I was a little rough, as, for the first time, she looked grave, with two wrinkles of displeasure about her lips." But Bertha seemed constantly to encourage me to dare further, and Felix preserved his enigmatical laugh, while Gaucherand tapped me on the shoulder, exclaiming, At Les Moreaux in fifteen days, Monsieur de Végelaide, we shall all of us be there. From the bottom of my soul, I wished the devil had Gaucherand. End of section 3